1: And then there were two, we're down to America, the USA and the Netherlands for the World Cup final on Sunday night or Monday morning. Eastern in Australia. And it's the end to an incredible month of action on Optusport to end an amazing season here that seems to have gone on forever, but now we've its climax. And for the final podcast this year, it's David Wiener with you, joined by Heather Garrick and Georgia Yeoman Dale. I actually can't believe we're here. You go through the month and then you think we're football wall to wall, and I don't know we know what we're gonna do with each other on Tuesday when there's nothing on. H two different semi-finals. Your verdict on USA and Netherlands being there for the big dance.
2: Yeah, look, it was so predictable that the USA were going to make the World Cup final. They've certainly um, walked the talk and they've been outstanding throughout the tournament and they've even raised the bar um, in the back end, uh, the business end of the tournament, especially with semis. For Netherlands, I can't really say that they've played a great full 90 minutes of game time, but they've certainly stepped up when it really counts. And the big moments, um, I think I think they've really put the games away. So whilst it was a tough game and a really defensive game today against... Uh, Sweden I, I think they can they can really test the USA if they can hold them out especially in that first half an hour 45 minutes.
0: Yeah but we've talked throughout the tournament about uh, you know playing possession and uh, you know pl- teams looking pretty but not being effective and I think that the Netherlands throughout this tournament have obviously been effective all you've got to do is win every game that's in front of you. Um, coming up against the USA that is obviously their biggest challenge yet but I think defensively Potentially they can, they can hold out the US for enough time to get them frustrated. And then with, with the skills of uh, Miedemar up front, anything can happen. Is
1: that where it's won and lost? Because it's that 12-minute, that magic 12-minute window where the US, you, you talk about the Dutch not, not seeing them at their best, but they've done what they need to do to win. And of course over the US, everyone is wondering how have they got here when they haven't really turned it on, but they've done what they need to do specifically at those starts. Come the 20th minute, if it's nil all, How do you think the U.S. would be feeling in that final?
2: Yeah, they still believe in in themselves and they've still got this winning mentality. Even until the 90th minute, they still think they're going to win the game and that's the beauty about the U.S. and it hasn't just started this generation. It's been all the generations before uh, this generation that have paved the way for their winning mentality and look, they are the best in the world. They've proved it and they just need to finish the final uh, on um, Sunday evening. But the big thing is, is they have not been behind in this World Cup tournament. They haven't had to face adversity where they they uh, haven't scored the first goal. So it, it's going to be a mind game if, if uh, something happens that, that the Dutch do get up 1-0 or whether they hold them off until the 80th minute or something like that. I think Spain were a really good example. They really um, got stuck into to Morgan and were really aggressive in their tackles and they matched them physically. So there's a really good example whilst everyone's riding the Dutch off. I don't think we can at the moment.
0: No, the US had are definitely beatable we've seen in the past that uh, teams can get over the top of them. But it's not a matter of that 15-minute magic window. They're a side that you have to be on your best game for 90 minutes plus the extra time because even with 30 seconds to go, they're going to always believe that they can get another goal.
1: So I know that today was a, we'll call it a, a boring game, it was a tactical game, but it was one where two teams who, this was their moment, but neither of them wanted to lose and the defensive resilience was to be admired. If you're the Dutch going into the final, do you repeat that or do you go with the Americans? Where is this going to be won and lost?
2: Yeah, well, look, in the, the whole tournament, there hasn't been a team that has high-pressed a, a team in, in in their front third that that's really um, high-pressed, like the Matildas used to do, and the Matildas have, were successful against the US for that particular reason, and um, to put the US under pressure, especially probably their weakness, would be their defence, and possibly their goalkeeper um, – but no-one's done that. So if uh, Serena Wigman does that, masterstroke. But you can't maintain that, especially in, in the heat over there in France. And, um, yeah, I, I think the first 45 minutes will be crucial for the Dutch. They need to hold them out, um, whatever tactics it is. It's the most important thing. It's a World Cup final um, but they've played so many games. Each team have played so many games. And it's a matter of getting bodies on the park.
0: And the, but the other hard thing to that is the US have managed to rotate their squad mm. because every time we think of the USA, we think of the depth of their squad. They've got 23 players that they can really call upon in every big match. But you compare that to the Dutch, and they've only uh, worked between 13 different starters across this World Cup. mate Mede- Mede- in this game, looked a bit out on her feet. Because she's played every minute of this World Cup. And remember, she's only 22. So whether this three days is enough time for them to rest, recover, going into, um, going into the final against the US, are they able physically to press them? Or is it a matter of holding them out and then hoping for a, sort of a miracle breakthrough?
2: What you could do, you could do in the first 15 minutes or the first 12 minutes because that's that's when uh, the USA have can, yeah. uh, scored their goals in this World Cup tournament. You can maybe high-press for the first 15 minutes, put them under the pump, put them uh, on the back foot. If you get the kick-off, then make sure you... Make sure it's a throw-in down the back third and then high-press and, and win it as quickly as you can. So they're all little tactics. And uh, Sarita Wigman, she's done really well throughout this tournament, the, the Dutch coach. And I commend her because she's had to make tactical changes. She's had to adapt. She she's, hasn't started Van der Sanden, who's, who's arguably one of their best players who hasn't performed. So that's, that's quality. So um, for her to make the final and, and for the team to make the final, the emotion on their faces today was just an emotional occasion because not only are they the European Cup champions, um, but they're now in the World Cup final. And what it meant to them, it meant to everybody in the world that's ever played women's football, you know that feeling when... It's just such a good feeling when you win. But
0: also where they're coming from uh, as as far as football for women in their country is they've been growing over the last, I think, I would say sort of 20 to 30 years from a point where girls didn't play football, that just wasn't a thing, to now being in the World Cup final, what this is going to do for girls at home, in their country, the inspiration that these players are. If they go into this final and don't win it, they've still made a major accomplishment.
1: It's, it speaks to the whole movement in Europe that is growing at the moment, where the old it's almost like the old school football, the traditional powerhouses have woken up, and those opportunities will continue to grow. And I thought the winning goal was actually symbolic, Manchester United's first signing. It says a lot about the, the changing winds of where things are going, that Manchester United entering the picture, their first signing, a match winner on the biggest stage. I found that quite a, a po- um, poignant moment
2: yeah for sure and a, a massive moment a massive moment for Groen who scored that amazing goal and it's it's going to be a goal that's that's put down in history uh, for the Netherlands Um but the movement is women's football and to see so many countries support it and want to be part of it and invest in it. And, and just overnight, the Premier League wants to buy out the mm. the English competition. That is just music to my ears. This is I grew up as, as a young girl and um, I wanted to play for Manchester United. That was my team. And um, to be able to see a female team in the competition and be able to live the dreams, um, obviously not playing, just to see it evolve, and Real Madrid being part of it, and Juventus is part of it, and Milan. It's just, it's it's just an amazing movement, and um, we're not finished here in women's football. We've got so much, so much to prove, and so much to, to be able to put into to football, especially around the world. And it's nice to see the Italians of, of the world game be so prevalent in this competition because the emotion and the passion is the same as their male counterparts. It shouldn't be gender-based. And I think after this World Cup, it's not going to be gender-based. Hopefully there's no unconscious bias.
0: But also just watch the quality of women's football uh, escalate so much quicker now that there is investment behind it. So a lot of these girls have got to where they've got to without any help. They've, they've been facing adversity. But now they're going to be put up and set up in professional clubs. They're able to play and train like professionals. Um, and that just develops players, it develops teams, and it develops leagues. It
1: is, Coach, after, the, after they went out, there was quite a big rallying cry there talking about, well, we've done this under that adversity. If you start to give us the facilities, just some respect with some basic wages non-amateur wages, uh, imagine what we can do. So when you say it's not the end, uh, uh, it is absolutely not. This is, in maybe 10, 15 years, we'll look back at this World Cup as a shifting moment, perhaps.
2: Yeah, for sure. And then we, we've got to draw the inspiration from one of the world's best players for, what, 10-plus years in Marta. After the Brazilian game, her press conference, you've got Marta, who's retiring. We've got Cristiano who's lived in the shadow of Marta, who's, again, one of the world's best players. And then you've got Famiga at the age of 42 that have played in her, her last World Cup, her emotion and her words and her passion for the women's game, she's going to continue in this game. It was jo- just so inspirational, and it was just so nice that I could play play against a, a Marta and a Cristiani and a, and a Famiga in my time, but just to see this movement, it's just so – It's it's – hopefully a, a change in momentum and, and a, a turning point for the women's game this World Cup. Well, even you mentioning that,
0: and I guess get goosebumps, so players like Marta and Christiani, and, and even you, H, are players who are pa- have paved the way for, for the next generation and, um, you know, players who will never be forgotten for their contribution to the game.
1: So on that note then, while we're on that topic, what is the biggest lesson or takeout we're going to have from this World Cup? Um, we've we've all talked about the European movement, seven and uh, of the last eight teams were from Europe um, so what do we learn and take out from that as a global lesson from the tournament but then what do we learn as Australians uh, from from that big question
0: <laughs> it is a big question um, so I think you know as Australians we have to reflect on what Europe are doing and um, and definitely we're, we're off par we're not we're not quite there so we need to be um, progressing our league definitely and and uh, yeah, it, it, as I said, just a long
2: way to go. Yeah, we're miles away. Absolutely miles away. Australia's miles away. This this was our best opportunity. The reason why it was our best opportunity is because um, a lot of our core players, yeah, Caitlin Fords, Emily Van Agmont, Sam Kers, um debuted when they were 16. So this is their third World Cup. And this was an opportunity where we could have really made a mark on, on this World Cup. But it was the one that got away from us. We didn't do it right. Um, none of our youth, teams have qualified for the world cup in over 10 years there's no infrastructure there's a young matildas program that's um we're currently running which is fantastic that was established by alan stagic uh here in new south wales but that's only 18 players there needs to be more infrastructure There needs to be more development programs ar- around the country there needs to be more investment in coaches Um, There needs to be more investment in in players and young players coming through. We can't continue to keep relying on a 16-year-old debuting for Australia. We need to create a pathway for these players to be able to go and play international football for 10 years plus and not not be burnt out like some of our players, like Alana Kennedy, playing 50 or 60 or 70 games uh, per year. It's just not good enough. And as for our W League, uh, we're in a really difficult situation because... Our W League complements the NWSL, but at the moment, uh, the NWSL is only slightly better than than the, the W League, and the point of difference is the length of time of the W League. And I think it's great that we've we've got a connection with the NWSL that we can ha- we can draw from the NWSL. But in my mind, the European teams, seven out of the eight finalists at this World Cup, have proven that European football is way more advanced than what. What, the, what we've got here and what the quality of NWSL is and you've got the likes and the trailblazers of Olympic Lyon that have done it right for not just this year, not just last year but for years and years. When women's football wasn't cool, Lyon still invested in all the top players so i take my hat off to them and I'm, it's so fitting this World Cup is a turning point for women's football because Lyon started the movement with all the big money that they invested.
1: Nice point. Is, is it symbolic as well? Is it, uh, when you talk about the, the Premier League coming in, possibly taking that league off uh, the, the FA in England, um, is it club driven? Is that where, when we look at this independence of the leagues that's going to happen here in Australia, is that where it's going to come from, where you get that extra investment? Um, as a coach and as a player, if you had a wish list for what you can get domestically to try and start that process of bridging that gap, what would that be?
0: Yeah, I think it, it comes uh, – it has to come from a few different sources. It definitely needs to the, – there are some clubs in the W League who are willing to invest in their teams, in their players. There are other clubs who are definitely behind on the movement. But I think that the the biggest thing holding the league back is – well, there's a couple of things. There's the, the limited games. There's the 12-game the round. It's just not enough to be developing anyone playing 12 games a year over three months. Um, but it's also, for me, the – the salary cap, because you look at um, teams like uh, Melbourne City and Sydney FC, and I, I would think Canberra United as well, they're happy to pay to their salary cap, but if they could pay over, they would, and it would be bringing different players here, and yes, then you've probably got a little bit more uneven balance across the league, but it forces other teams who don't want to necessarily invest, to invest, to, to actually stay in the league.
2: Yeah, it's being uh, in the administration side and the coaching side.
1: Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
2: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash acast, code acast. But I can understand how there's a salary cap, um, mostly because it's just unfair. If there's not somebody like a, a Canberra United, um, we're supported by our um, our capital football, so and we're not aligned with a an A League club, which makes it tough for us. But we've made but can do you up that
0: salary cap then, because. As far as I'm aware, the fact that they're increasing the minimum wage and it doesn't align with an increase in salary cap, how do you get good players to
2: come to your club if you need to worry about filling 23 spots? Yeah, the salary cap is going to increase. It, it has to increase, so it's, it's definitely going to increase. Um, but when we talk about the W League and we talk about um, where we're at, um, it, it's just going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult because... Um, Back when I was playing, the collective bargaining agreement, the reason why there was contracts and the PFA come in and and gave them Matilda's contracts was for stability. So we could get mortgages and go to bank accounts and we know that if we got injured, then we'd still be able to get paid each week. Well, guess what? The times have changed now. The national team shouldn't be... supporting our national team players. The club supports the national team players, just like it is in world football with the men and the women in Sweden and the women in in, um, in the NWSL and the, the women over in France. The club supports the player as the primary salary. When you go away for the Matildas or the Socceroos or the French national team or the Swedish national team, you get paid based on the games that you play against and this is the turning point. It shouldn't be a base salary if you're a national team player and on a long-term contract. This is what we need to change because the game has evolved and I'm so pleased that now clubs can then support salaries as the basis and you then get called into your national team the same as what men's football is and how professional that is. That's what needs to change in my mind.
0: Yeah, and I I also think adding on that, I I definitely agree. Um, But we we go back to the fact that we need more development coming through. So it needs to be uh, a transition that's really thought about I don't know, smartly, because you look, you look at the US league going back a few years and it ended up folding because they all threw in too much money, it wasn't sustainable. So as much as we want to say, yep, they all need to be paid X amount, which they do for to develop them as players, we need to develop the younger generation so that when they're coming to these professional clubs, they're ready and they're quality players and are able to put on a good performance
2: yeah look with with the w league i don't mean the main salary is getting paid all year round if it's only a three month season i mean that the players that are, are part of the matildas need to go abroad because look let's face it the a league is struggling in itself let alone the w league uh playing a full home and away season and and extending that amount of time and then it comes to do we get the quality international players so there's so many question marks in and around our league um but yeah trying to develop from a young age and develop a a proper pathway, not just in New South Wales, not just in the major states in Melbourne, in everything, in everybody coming together and having one common goal that we need to build a depth of players that are quality and that are not getting exposed too early to national team.
0: Do you think, though, when when I look at our uh, youth teams and then our national team, there's almost a gap? And yes, there are some players who, at the age of 16, 17, 18, make the easy transition into into the national team. But what about those players between the ages of 18 and uh, 25 even – There is nothing for them. Once you get older than the under-19s team and you haven't qualified for a World Cup, you've got nothing. And if you compare that to the US, where all of these girls are going to college and training professionally and uh, playing at high levels, that's where their
2: their development is. And the most important thing, Georgia, they're getting educated. So you know what? Life after football, when you finish your career at 30 or 35, at least you've got the basis of being educated. And then you can go on to do your... Proper career, and most people retire at sixty-five to seventy these days. And for any player that's getting exposed in the national team and that ha- hasn't got an education, and Georgia, you're such a beautiful example that you were doing your uni and also playing for Australia at the same time. You have to do that because even drawing players out of their states and and them not not finishing off year twelve or them not not having something a, a backup plan, it infuriates me and it makes me so sad because I know if my daughter daughters or son was to do the same thing you need to have a backup plan and the other thing is it's fantastic from a balance point of view because when you do get injured and Georgia you have been injured you can still put a lot of time into your academics or your study or university or whatever it is you want to do it's just so important it gives you a beautiful balance I didn't have that as a player I was football focused I was fully focused on wanting to do great in football and that I think was my downfall I didn't have a great balance and anytime I lost a game I I I I just focused on football. Anytime I got injured, I just focused on football. I had no balance. And this is what I'd love to see our younger generation and the money being pumped in and being educated to the academic side of things is just as important as you being a professional footballer.
1: I can't add much more. It's compelling listening. And the thing is, we can't solve it in 20 to 30 minutes what we want to do is start the fire of the conversation because the more that we have ladies like yourselves talking about it we can try and actually uh, get this conversation going and make sure that we don't lie dormant it got, same goes with the men's game same conversations but very different we need your expertise to help fuel that along and I guess to conclude I guess the, the the snapshot of it is something that happened at the start of the tournament and we're still talking about it now start of the tournament Sam Kerr was linked to Chelsea you said just now on SCAR goals, if you're a young Australian, your advice to them is go. That pretty much sums up the status quo right now, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Um, I know any young player um, after this World Cup, I've spoken to a few in, in the last couple of weeks, they just want to go over to Europe now. They're, they are so dedicated to getting themselves over to Europe and it's, it's a similar movement to the men. Um, and I think Sam's next move should be the... Europe. Um, and even though I'm a W League coach and I'd love to have her here and I'd love to have all the best players here, I think for the Matildas to evolve and get better, they need to play in a competition that's the best. And it's the German league or the, or the French league or the, or the English league at the moment. We've seen the quality. Look at the, the look at the English team. That That's that's a prime example. That's the best example I can give you.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that Sammy definitely needs to go in in the interest of the Matildas uh, going into the Olympics and going into the next World Cup, but also in the interest of her personal development. Because, yes, we look at her from Australia and before this World Cup and we, there were people uh, shouting that she's the best player in the world. You look at some of these players and, yes, Sammy's brilliant, I would say that she's not as good as some of these other players, and and that's not a lack of ability, that's just a lack of um, constant training and exposure to that different type of football, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think that, in the interest of her personal development as a player and the interest of the Matildas going forward, she needs to go.
2: Yeah, and a good example, she's just come back from the World Cup and to her credit, she didn't have any time off. She went straight into playing back for Chicago Red Stars, so that's a professional within itself, and she scored a hat-trick. But the last hat-trick she scored was against Jamaica, who was ranked... 40-something in the world as well. She scored four goals. So um, she didn't score a hat-trick when we come up against the, the quality teams. And um, that's where she needs to be tested and tested under pressure. And moments when you get a penalty at a World Cup uh, quarterfinals, that'll then help her out to help with the pressure side of things and help her with a captaincy for the national team.
1: And that's when you get in a situation like today with the game on the line, clutch goal, clutch winner from those high stakes situations and I guess it's a, it's a cycle that continues from there with those big games, big exposure and, and we've seen with the English they, they benefited from that to a point and they'll continue to uh, now. Any final thoughts on that topic before we move on to anything else?
0: No, let's move on. Let's move on <laughs> yeah, let's As we move could, on. we could that. go for
1: hours. Look, just before we wrap up, because this is the final podcast of the season, which I think started in about August last year. So I don't know where the timeline goes there. What do we take out? It's been a blur. It's been a whirlwind. Um, but when you look back at this in a couple of weeks, what will be something that you pinpoint that you go, geez, I missed that, or geez, that was a moment that just put the hairs on the back of my neck?
2: Yeah, look, um, the different styles of football uh, that I take out, one big moment for me, in particular moment, and it's not. A, it wasn't about the football, it was off the field, it was more about a, a nation like Thailand um, when they scored their only goal at the World Cup and the emotion um, from the manager or, or the, the funded uh, manager, She, uh, it was pure emotion and we play in a world game and we play in a game that you don't need any kind of one culture or any kind of uh, gender or any kind of... Um, language to play it's the world game and I'm just so proud to be part of it and there were so many moments in this World Cup where, where I just felt like it was just a dream me sitting here being able to talk about football for, for four weeks on end and about quality players and about world-class players that are going to go on to make a, a great living out of football and that just makes me feel really content.
0: Yeah, I would agree that, that uh, moment with the the Thailand team as well. It was, you know, you could see the emotion on, on their faces. But then another one uh, for me is the pride that some of these teams play with. And one that really comes to mind is Italy. You watch these girls when they're singing the national anthem and it's with so much pride and you know that they're going out there to play for their country. So it's definitely, you know, the exciting thing about a World Cup is... Um, it's a dream for so many people to to play for your country, and, and these girls are doing it on the world stage, and, and you can just see how much it means to them. So, aside from the fact that the football has been brilliant, uh, it's definitely those moments that stand out for me.
1: We saw it today with the Dutch. The celebrations afterwards were just absolutely fantastic, as they should be. you see the way they share it with the fans, share it with each other. It's been a lot of raw human moments in this tournament. Um, Japan Netherlands at the end there um, when that late penalty. They were they were seen, behold, Scotland, Argentina um, as well, just seeing your, your chance to go through, fall from, your, fall from your grasp. Not only are we getting amazing World Cup drama, but as you say, uh, stories told to the entire planet and that's what I'll probably cherish most from this tournament as well.
2: Yeah, for sure. And um, the best player at this tournament uh, for me is uh, Ellen White. Uh, what a true professional. She's come out. She signed a contract uh, before the tournament. She probably shouldn't have signed the yeah. contract because she'd be worth ten times more than that but uh, I think she's an old school pro, and what I mean by an old school pro, she did a job, she's a prolific goal scorer, I think technically she was great, positionally she was great, her attitude, and this is what got me and really, really made me emotional to see, her attitude after losing that game, even though they'd lost in a big moment, her press conference after, just to uh, say that she's absolutely gutted, it's a heartbreaking moment, but she was able to praise and she was able to see the positives and the negatives, and She's a striker and a person that obviously loves the game so much but she is a fantastic role model for this game and I'm going to look back and all the young kids that I coach in the future, I'm going to make them see um, what a fantastic professional this this girl is and what a great role model she is.
0: And someone who... I know from, you know, through people is is one of those people who she's the first one at training. She's the last to leave. She puts in the effort and it really shows on the field. But, um, you know, as you said, true professional, very humble and, and a joy to watch.
1: Well, will she get the golden ball, not the golden boot for the top scorer, the golden ball for best player or will it come from the final, do you think?
0: Oh, there's so many players to choose from. I wouldn't want to be on the voting panel, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one because you've got so many Defenders who have really stepped up. For me, Lindsay Horan on the US team has been really good, but so is Rose Lavelle on in her uh, debut season. Lucy Bronze has been good. But, yeah, I, I she'll definitely be in contention, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think Ellen White, hopefully she gets the golden boot um, or the top goal scorer at the end of the tournament. Um, usually they do pick the player of the tournament from the World Cup final, and if they don't, then I'd give it to Ellen White.
1: All right, so... Anyone game enough to not tip the US?
2: Yeah, I'm going Netherlands. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> Just because I'm
0: a gambler, that's why. Is that your heart or your head? <laughs> Definitely my heart. <laughs>
1: but you're playing, playing for the drama. I was found the BBC reaction and a lot of the British reaction of the regret after that game quite interesting where they talked about how they didn't go for it in those early exchanges and, and take the US on high up. Do you think that's what the Dutch will do to to, to learn from that?
0: Yeah, we we spoke about it. I think that they need to. They need to press them higher. The, the issue that they're going to have
2: is do they have the legs yeah, in them? Have the they had enough time you to turn around? Yeah.
1: yeah you're yeah. only there once.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I think the USA are going to win the World Cup. I'd love to see the Dutch really put it to them and, and really um, upset the USA. I can't see it happening, but if they do, it'd be such a magical moment in women's football. It's pretty much always a you go for the team
0: versus the USA because you 100%. always want the underdogs to win.
1: Absolutely. We'll be gunning for the drama on the in the early hours of Monday morning. Ladies, thanks for hanging around today. We are a bit longer, but it was great discussion and I was just hanging on and not saying very much and just listening to you and like everyone else out there, thanks for your time all throughout the tournament. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great working with you both.
2: Yeah, same to you. It's all awesome being uh, working on this panel. It's been fantastic.
1: Brilliant stuff. So to everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed that. And we're going to take a break from podcasting until the start of next season. So as always, in the meantime, enjoy your football and thanks for joining us.